We've been in Hebrews now for the past few weeks, and just to give a quick recap, because it's very important to understand context. And Hebrews was written to the Jewish people who were second generation believers. In other words, they did not see Christ physically, but they received a witness from somebody who was an eyewitness. And they were struggling because they were being persecuted and ostracized because they were not following Jewish customs. So it was written to Jewish people, and there were three types of people addressed in this letter. One was the Jewish believer who believed Jesus was Messiah, who was all in with his heart, but he was struggling. The second is the Jewish believer who really wasn't a believer. He only had bought in in his head to the fact that yes, Jesus could have been Messiah. He, you know, he probably was. But you know what? I'm not ready to give up my Jewish roots or I'm not ready to go through persecution for Him or I'm not ready to really allow Him to lead me to be king in my life. That was the second group. The third group was still trying to figure it out. They weren't even sure that He was Messiah. But groups two and three were not believers. Even though the second group professed maybe he was Messiah, they weren't believers. Those are the three groups addressed. And so what the writer does is he starts off by talking about the theme of the book as Jesus being supreme. He's supreme to everything. And for a Jewish person, the highest thing over earth other than God was angels. God used angels to send messages, to do divine things. And so angels were seen as divine but under God. And the Jewish people almost worshipped them at times. And so the writer starts off with the first chapter really unfolding how Christ is greater than angels. And he lays out four ways that He's supreme to angels. Remember we talked about those. He's supreme to angels in their name. In His name versus their name. He was the Son of God. They were, um, they were servants of God. And so, who's greater? The Son of God or just a servant? The Son. And, and so, the writer brings that out and he does it using Old Testament texts. He, he keeps going back to Psalm a lot of times. And Second Samuel too. But he, he uses these arguments to say Jesus is greater than angels in name. Second, he says He's greater in position. Angels worship God and angels are worshiping Jesus. And he brings that out in text too. And so who is greater, the worshiper or the worshipped? And we said the worshipped is always greater. And so he makes that point. The third way that he's greater is in nature. His nature is eternal. He didn't have a beginning. Angels were created. There's a finite number of them. Angels don't procreate. They don't. Regardless of what crazy people might teach, angels, according to the Bible, do not procreate. It was not angels that came down and had sex with man like some people teach because they talk about the Nephilim and they talk about other things. It was not angels that came down and actually had sex with man. Um, Angels don't procreate. They don't. There's finite number. They were created. They've been with God from the beginning uh, once He created them, and they are eternal after He created them. But they had a beginning point. Jesus didn't. He's always been because He's God. So He's greater than angels in that way. And then the, the fourth way was His sovereignty. He rules. Jesus rules. He's sovereign over things. It's, the writer says I'll, you know, He puts everything under His feet, which is symbolic 
of ruling, but for the angels, they are servants. So you have a ruler versus servants again. And so those were the four ways that he brought out in chapter 1. Then last week, we looked in chapter 2. He talked about the three reasons we should be all in. It was kind of a, a warning slash invitation tucked in between this teaching time. And remember I said that uh, you know to have a teaching without an invitation is almost it's just wrong. If you teach somebody something, you want to invite them to respond. And we said God's Word always demands a response from us. Now we may not respond, but His Word demands a response. And really we do. Delayed obedience is disobedience, Right? I mean, you may, if you don't obey because you go, well, I'm not really sure. Do you ever have your kids do that? What do you mean, Dad? I don't understand because they didn't want to do what you told them to do. Surely you guys have had kids do that. Surely you may have done that before. You don't want to do something. I don't really understand what you want me to do because you don't want to do it. But delayed obedience is disobedience, and God's word always demands a response. And we saw. I use the illustration of flying, and when you fly, you scan your instruments. And I gave you three instruments to look at in your life spiritually that you can scan to see, you know, am I drifting? Because that was the big theme of verses 1 through 4. It was a warning to the second group of people who had been given God's word, but they were drifting away from it. And if they drift away, he said, How can you neglect such a great salvation? You're in danger of drifting away into hell. And that's what he was telling them. And I gave you these three spiritual um, instrument panel, if you will, just to use a flying kind of term, because we scan we scan heading altitude airspeed. And, and for us spiritually, we should be scanning. Remember the first one was time. Am I progressing? Or am I, you know, you're, you're either growing closer to Christ or you're growing away from him. You're not neutral. There is no neutrality with Him. You're not just staying put. You're either going away from Him or going towards Him. So as I look back over time, am I drifting? If I'm drifting, am I making a correction? Second was the response to His Word. When God's Word is given to me, how do I respond? Is it positive in repenting and moving forward with Him? Or is it like Cain who got angry and decided he was going to do what he wanted to do regardless of what God said, or like Saul who blamed other people and did what he wanted to do regardless of what God said. Or was it like David? David repented when he was confronted with his sin. See, the truth is we all sin. We're all going to sin. We all blow it. And when we're confronted, how do we respond to His Word? And then the third thing is our priorities and interest. That instrument of... You know, what, what really grabs me? Am I more interested in the things of this world and material things and a pursuit of those or spiritual things? Does it even move me when I hear that one of God's servants is in prison simply for loving Him because He was trying to help people who wanted to be helped who don't have what we have? You come here every Wednesday for a lot of you guys and there's people all over the world who don't get what you get here. And we take it for granted. It's like the sunrise here in Florida. It pops up every day and we take it for granted. And, and so this guy's over there. Does that even move me? Or do I just like go, oh, that's, that's tough, you know, and then you go on. No emotion, no feeling for this guy and his family. No feeling for the brothers and sisters who are being persecuted there, for the family of Kayla 
that young Christian worker who was raped multiple times. Is that, if, that shouldn't move us because these are God's servants, His people. And so our interest, that's another thing that we can scan for drift. And if we're drifting, uh, one, somebody came up to me and said, what do I do if I'm drifting? You repent. You just acknowledge it to God and say, God, help me not to do that. Direct me to Your Word. Direct, direct me to people that have the same values as Your people do so that those people can help me. I want to be around Your people. Um, and so... This week, we go further into uh, chapter 2. And really, we're going to do verses... I ask you to read verses 5 through 13. And I want you to, to see what happens as the writer now moves from this warning slash invitation into uh, teaching again. And Because here's some of the questions that this group of people is struggling with. If Jesus is greater than angels, why was He human? And if Jesus is greater than angels, why did He die? Because angels don't die. Those were valid questions for them they were struggling with. And so now the writer deals with that in these verses we're going to look at today. And I want to give you three reasons that, that Jesus had to be human and three reasons He had to die and suffer. The first one is it was God's great plan for us. That sounds simple, doesn't it? But it is true. It was God's great plan for us. And as we, as we think about these three things, I want you to go back to verse 3 where it says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a what? A great salvation. We have a great salvation. How are we going to escape if we neglect it? And the writer is saying, God's great plan is one of the reasons that Jesus had to be human and He had to suffer and die. Second is, is God's great character revealed to us. God reveals His character to us through Jesus' humanness and through His suffering. And we're going to see that in the text. And finally... The last reason is God's great gift to us. Jesus being human and suffering and dying was His great gift. It was like the best gift ever. The best news ever. The best thing that could ever happen to you in your entire life. Yet every day we treat it as if it's just like a sunrise. Oh well, yeah, the sun came up. Of course it did. We act like we deserve it. And so the writer says in three, how can we escape if we neglect this great salvation? And I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as we go through this text. We look at this. God's great plan for us. You know, um, God's great character revealed to us and then God's great gift to us as we read this passage. This is why Jesus had to be human and suffer. Alright? Starting over in verse... Actually, I'm going to start at the beginning. I'm going to start at verse 1, just again to read that, and then we're going to take all the way through uh, 13. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. 
For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witnesses by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. May God bless His Word. So this writer, what he's doing, he's making three basically arguments for why Jesus had to be human because that's the question that they're struggling with. Because they're still thinking angels are are better than Jesus because He's human. And so he's addressing that. And the, the, the way he goes about it is great because he quotes from Psalm 8. That passage where he says, what is man that you're mindful? If you see quotes in your Bible in the New Testament, it means usually it's either spoken or it's quoted from the Old Testament. And so this is from Psalm 8, verses 4 through 6. And here's here's what he's saying. What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man. David's saying this and he's saying, it's from Psalm 8 and he's saying, who am I, God, that you would even care about me? Not only that, you made him for a little while lower than angels. So if he says you've made him for a little while lower than angels, what does that mean? Temporary. Yeah. So what's going to happen in the future? Are you, are you going to be greater than angels? For a little while, you're lower than angels. For a little while. And, and guys, I want to tell you... I. I don't know that I've been taught very much in my Christian walk about our ruling. Do you know we were created to rule? We were created to have dominion. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 29, in fact, let me read it to you. Genesis 1, back at the very beginning, first chapter of the whole Bible, but for them it was their Torah. Going to verse 26. 
Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps. We were created to have dominion over everything we, we're, we see here on earth. Did you know that? I, I didn't know that. That I was created to have dominion, to rule. I've never had that. that that's, can you imagine just for a second, Jim, that if you found out that some distant relative was the ruler of a country over in Europe that you didn't even know about, and you were in the line, and all of a sudden they said, hey, you're, you're the king. You're ruling here. And so you've got to go over here because we don't know. We need a king. We want you to rule over us. Can you imagine how that would change your world? Especially if they had some kind of resources there that were amazing. You go, you, do you think you'd be jumping around about that? I think you would. We were created to rule the earth. I'm 58 years old. I've been following Christ for 50 years. And I'm studying Hebrews and I realize this for the first time. That we were created to rule. That was the plan. He said it back in Genesis. You see, here's the way it was. God over all the universe. Angels, what were angels? Remember what we read in, in chapter 1, verse 14? Angels, what was their role? To serve and praise God and to serve the saints. To serve us. Those who would inherit the earth. They, so it was supposed to be God, angels, man, and earth. That was the plan. We were created to rule the earth. The word there where it says it was not to angels in verse 5 that God subjected the world. The word for world there is the word oikumene, which means inhabited earth. That is, it's an inhabited place. It's not talking about some planet with nothing on it. It's talking about in our place where we live, where we were planted and created. But it's talking about, too, now, the millennial kingdom. Because what happened? See, we were created to rule the earth, but sin crept in, and what did it do? It brought a curse. And it put us under... It put us under the earth and under Satan's rule temporarily. That's what the curse did. When, when they sinned, we came under the curse. So now, who rules us? The prince of the power of the air. The prince of the power of the air, according to 1 John 5. It says that in 1 John 5, 19. It says that. And also, do you know what else? This, it, the earth rules us. Yeah. Thorns and thistles. It produces thorns. And, and, and listen, if you think you rule the earth, I'm going to take you and drop you off in the middle of uh, Africa and put you out there among a bunch of lions and let's see how long you last. So tell me who's ruling now. It got flopped. And it's not supposed to be that way. 
And the earth groans because it knows it's not supposed to be that way. In fact, Scripture talks about that. I'm going to read Genesis again. Genesis 3, what happened after sin came into the world when he talks about that. Starting in verse 14 of chapter 3, he says, I will multiply your pain in childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire will be over your husband. He shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you will eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The earth is cursed now. So here's the thing. We were created to rule. Then sin came in. Because we gave into that, it brought a curse not only on the earth, it brought a curse on us. We're cursed. You and I come into the world cursed. And it's not just some mythical hex, somebody says. We are cursed. We are cursed with a body that deteriorates. It wasn't that way before the curse. We are cursed being servants to the earth. It wasn't meant to be that way. And so that's what he's saying here. He says, it has been testified somewhere. And he kind of goes back. What is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man. You made him for a little while lower than angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. Putting everything in subjection to his feet. That's what he's saying. He's quoting David back in Psalms and he's saying everything's in subjection. He says... Now in putting everything in subjection, he left nothing outside of his control, he says. At present, we don't see it. We don't see it because of the curse. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, and then we see his name, Jesus, Yeshua. You see, Christ suffered He came as a human to take the curse in the human body on Himself. He suffered and died so that the curse would be lifted. Had He not been human, He couldn't have taken the curse for us. That's that's God's great plan. He came in His humility, what Paul says, and suffered and died to restore you and I back to ruling again. It's not just so we can go (laughs) pop up on clouds and sit up there and sing all the time like some people would either lead you to believe or maybe you do believe. But we're going to rule again. A millennial way. There's going to be a millennial kingdom and we're going to rule that. The earth. We're going to rule. Listen what Daniel says. Daniel chapter 7. Listen to what this angel says. Angel sent to Daniel to reveal the future to him. Daniel 7, verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. So there's going to be a new kingdom. That's what the angels tell him. There's going to be a new kingdom. Over uh, in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, um, verse 20. Listen to what it says here. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. 
And he says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at, the, at his right hand in the heavenly place far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. There's going to be a millennial kingdom. There's going to be a millennial reign. And that's what he's talking about in Revelation. He talks about over in Revelation chapter 3. And this is where it starts getting really good for you and me. Revelation 3 verse 20. I'm sorry, not 320. That pops in my head all the time. 321. Um, The one who conquers, he's talking about believers, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on on his throne. We're going to be sitting with Christ, ruling with Christ. We're not just going to be sitting around up there doing nothing. It's not, we are, God made us and created us to rule over the earth. It was cursed. Christ came to redeem that. And it's going to change when He gets this new. If you go back in Isaiah chapter 2, and for time I'm not going to read them all, Isaiah 2 talks about the new world the the new world relationships what it's going to look like there's going to be there's going to be peace you know uh there's going to be i'm going to turn your um uh swords into plowshares it's going to be peace it's going to be filled with peace isaiah 11 there's going to be new relationships with animals you'll be able to sit i saw a video the other day uh, uh i was just scrolling through looking at something and it was video of a of a um, Australian brown snake snapping at a guy who was trying this as a blogger and do you know the Australian brown snake is like one of the most venomous snakes in the world it'll kill you in 5 minutes you get bit by it and this guy's out there playing around with it you'll be able to sit next to a brown snake with nothing happening that's what it says over in Isaiah chapter 11 We're going to have a new relationship with animals. You can sit by a tiger that's hungry and he ain't going to eat you. Think about that. Think about the difference it's going to be. And that's what it talks about in Scripture. There's going to be a new earth. And it's not just what we see is going to be wiped away. It's going to be made new. And we are going to be ruling over that. And that's what he's trying to say. This is part of God's great plan for us. But that's why Jesus had to be human because he had to take our curse. And he goes into that and, and he goes into the next verse down in verse, um, verse 10. And he says, for it was fitting, it was fitting that he. So he's making a statement there about the character of God. And what he's saying is, he's, he's saying it was fitting that He for whom and by whom all things exist. Who's he talking about? He's talking about himself. He's talking about God. All things came from God and all things exist for God. And he's saying, God, he's revealing to us God's great character. This is another reason Jesus had to be human. He said it was fitting. And he, the first thing we see is by that it is fitting is, God's great character is revealed in who He is, His person. Back in Genesis chapter 18, when 
Abraham is talking to the angels about Sodom, you know what he says? The judge of the earth will do what is just. God's character is good. Why is that important for me and you? Because when our world falls apart here, the enemy goes, you know what? God doesn't love you and He's not powerful. You know what? He's really not sovereign over everything. He just created the earth and now He's kind of He's just letting the world go. He doesn't, he's not involved in your life. Do you really think praying to Him is going to make a difference? Do you really, do you really think asking Him God's good. He is good. It's His character. It was fitting that He... His character is revealed in His person. But it's also revealed in His sovereignty. He says, for whom and by whom all things exist. How, how could we even believe in a God that's not sovereign? If He's not sovereign, what good is... How, how can He be God at all? And yet, you have people debating His sovereignty all the time. That even when things don't go the way I think they should, it doesn't mean it's not going the way God wants it to go. And you go, but even pain, even cancer, even financial crisis, even those things He allows. And sometimes He brings them. Why? One, because He disciplines those He loves, first of all. And two, His glory is revealed that when you're going through a difficult time, Remember that pastor from Turkey? Remember when he was over in prison the first few months? He said the first year he wondered whether God was sovereign and whether He was real. And a year later, he's sitting in the White House of the greatest country in the, the, the world with the leader talking about his experience. Because God wanted that to happen. And so many people have been encouraged by that story and what he's done in his witness. Even Kayla, the girl who died over there, who would not relent and become a Muslim, no matter how many times she was raped, no matter how many times she was beaten, she would not relent. And when some people escaped, she chose not to because she cared more about them getting caught because she would be with them. They were Iraqis. You won't hear that story on the news. But she said, even though Fox News just went off in somebody's phone. <laughs> but she said, no, if I go with you, He will pursue you. You go. That's loving others more than yourself. That's the sovereignty of God working through her. He knew what He was going to do. He brought her home. He brought her home. And let her be a great witness. His sovereignty for whom and by whom all things exist. And, and finally, God's character is revealed in His plan. In bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. And the word perfect there really is better rendered completed. Because Jesus was perfect. He wasn't imperfect. But what He's talking about is a completion. It means to complete. Now, that's God's plan. Now, you've got to step back for a second and think about God's plan. What He had to do. He had to punish sin, and yet He loved the people that were cursed by sin. 
So that's a dilemma. We look at it and we go, wait a minute. He's got to punish sin. There has to be justice. But yet, I love my creation. I don't, I don't, I don't want to condemn everybody. I know. I'll go and take human form. I'll walk among them. I will show them what it looks like to rule over the sea. And when he's in the Sea of Galilee, he goes, shh, and it stops. Adam was ruling before the curse over the earth. And who was in control of everything? God was. But Adam was God's surrogate governor over the earth. Jesus came and He showed what it looked like to take dominion over the earth. He showed what it looked like to take dominion over sin, over sickness. He ruled. He came and He walked as a human and then He suffered and died for us to show God's perfect love. He dealt with justice because He crucified His Son. His Son was He suffered. And he dealt with love because what did he do? He loves, yet he still punished. He punished his son. That's hard for us to grasp. Romans says, for the wages of sin is death. There had to be a punishment. And that reveals God's great character. That he could take justice and love and make them both coexist. It'd be hard for you and I to figure out how to do that. But God did it, and it shows His character. Revealed in His person, His sovereignty, and in His plan. And then He goes into verse 11. For He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. He is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of of the congregation I will sing your praise and again I will put my trust in him and again behold I and the children God has given me three quotes from the old testament and in this we see God's great gift to us remember so great a salvation how do we, how shall we escape if we neglect it his great gift he's talking about this to the listeners here in verses 11 through 13 He's saying we have one source for truth, we have one source for faith, and we have one source for a new life. That's it. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's the only source. And and God is the one who gives them to us. He's a gift. And that's what He's saying there. This is our great salvation that God gives us this gift. And what He's doing, He's quoting Three places. The first place he quotes is Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is the messianic psalm of suffering. And what he's quoting there is it's a proclamation of God's deliverance by a person who experiences incredible suffering. And that's what Jesus did. And that's why he's quoting it. That's, uh, he's quoting that when he says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of your congregation, I will sing of your praise. That comes right from Psalm 22. And it begins with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? Yeah, and he even goes into the suffering that he experiences there on the cross. And that's a messianic psalm. So what he's saying is that it's God's deliverance. Guys, this is a great gift God's given us. He's our source of truth. 
And we live in a world where truth, I was talking with a guy on the radio yesterday, said, yeah, but young people today, they don't believe in truth. It's their truth. This is the truth. That God, His Word has been revealed to us back even hundreds of years before it would happen. It was proclaimed it would happen. And Jesus fulfilled it. That's why He had to be a human. You see, if Jesus was not human, He wouldn't have died. He wouldn't have suffered the way we would have suffered. But He took the curse and died so that you and I don't have to die eternally. It was a gift. Well, the second thing is, He quotes from Isaiah 8. In Isaiah 8, it speaks about Isaiah and his disciples being united together by their trust in God. And what he's saying to these Hebrew believers is he's saying, guys, listen, you are to be united. You're in the family of God. And you're joined together not by skin color, yet we have people that they identify more with somebody because of their skin color than their relationship with Christ. We have people that identify more in their socioeconomic group than they do by their faith in Christ. And he's saying, no, we are brothers because of our faith in Christ. There's one faith, one source of that faith that's God. The same God who says there is no Gentile, there is no uh, Jew. There is no male, there is no female. We are one in Christ in our faith. And that's what he's saying when he quotes that. He says... I will put my trust in Him. He's saying that, saying that we are the recipients of faith from Him. It's a gift. Do you realize that your faith is not even something you do? It's a response to what God's given you? And that's what he's saying. And then he quotes the other part in Isaiah 8.8. He identifies believers as the children given to Jesus by God. He says... Behold, I and the children God has given me. It doesn't say, Behold, I and the children uh, that came to me. I, I, sometimes people drive me up the wall when they say, well, You know, I found God. No, you didn't find God. He found you. <laughs> Ain't nobody in the world that found Him. He found you and drew you to Himself. He, he drew you He brought you. God, in His mercy, brought you to Jesus and you responded. And what He's saying by saying that is He identifies believers as given to Jesus. His suffering and death make it possible for us to have faith. And here's the thing. When Isaiah was talking about that back in Isaiah 8, you know why he was saying that? It was to be a sign to unbelievers. And so the reason you and I are in the family of God that we share a common faith is to be assigned to unbelievers around us. John was walking up this morning and a lady goes, what are y'all doing in there? What kind of meeting y'all having? And I said, oh, we have a Bible study in there. And and I said, you know, we're just a bunch of guys getting together studying the Bible. And I said, is faith important to you? Oh, no, no, no. Didn't she, John? Yeah. Yeah. And oh, no, no. And I mean, I guess she thought I was going to break into a sermon right there because she was like, no, thank you. And I said, it should be. Yeah. Probably we are to be a witness, and, and our brotherhood 
is a witness to unbelievers. And that's what he's saying here. These children you've given me. So here's the question. So what? All this is great to, to get all this here, but you've got to remember there were two groups of people that it didn't penetrate here. If it never gets into your heart, it does no good. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So am I all in? Or am I drifting? What, what, what am I to do? It's up to you. You have to decide. I know when guys come in here, you're probably not in the third group. You're in the first or second group. Don't let the second group be what defines you. Be all in. There's nothing greater, nothing greater that's ever been done for you than what Christ did for you. He had to be human to suffer and die. That's why He was human. Only for a little while, it says, and He'll be greater. Let's pray.